the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Twenty-first day of July. It's a Tuesday, and Craig Roberts here to say hello. Good to have you with us for another edition of Lifeline. We're here each Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m., addressing issues that impact your life and your world. And boy, no shortage of issues impacting life these days, that's for sure. We'll talk about a number of issues on today's program. Coming up a little bit later on, Brian Johnston joins us. We'll get you an update on the status of Senate Bill 1237, a modification to health regulations in the state that, um, well, we'll tell you more about it. I don't want to get on a tangent right now, because if I do, <laughs> we'll easily lose track of time. I will also tell you the constitutional lawyer, Brad Dacus, is going to uh, join us for an update. Um, just barely a week ago, three churches here in California have sued Governor Newsom for banning singing in places of worship, but being silent on such activities elsewhere. We'll get an update for you and talk a bit about how you can learn how your church can operate safely in the midst of a pandemic. All right, well, certainly here in California, uh, the pandemic has people reevaluating all kinds of things. Today I was reading the MoneyWise report, and um, while certainly California being number two behind New York for the number of COVID cases might be a good motivation to consider leaving the state of California. Um, there are other reasons why California makes the top 10 list of money-wise as to why residents here are considering a move out of our fair state. And would you guess, would you guess money has something to do with it? Coming from the money-wise report makes sense, doesn't it? We are the third most expensive place to live, California is outside of Hawaii and Washington, D.C., and that has as much to do with our job market and the beauty of our state as the ways in which our state is managed. Let's get some insight now. California State Senator Shannon Grove joins us. Senator Grove is the uh, Senate Republican leader and serves our state on behalf of the 16th District. And, Senator, always a privilege to have you with us. And Senator Grove, are you there? Oh, you know what? <laughs> After that great setup, I got my order wrong. <laughs> so, Brad Dacus, can, can you imitate Senator Grove? <laughs> oh, I won't, I won't I, even attempt to intimidate Senator Grove. Uh, you know, and I, 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 it just helps if you'd read the paperwork, right, <laughs> Brad? Well, uh, with that brilliant <laughs> yeah, I, setup, I, I, we'll... I, I, 
That's what we call in the that's what we call in the business the tease. So with the tease said, let's uh, let's quickly shift gears as I look lovely in this shade of embarrassment red and uh, and talk about the issue of California, which is another reason why perhaps the state is not all that popular. And that has been that in the midst of COVID-19, there have been a number of policies that have been implemented by the governor with a tremendous lack of consistency. One, as I referred to, Brad Dake as president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute, is this notion that there seems to be different sets for different people and a lack of consistent application across the state. Part of this now being unveiled inside of this recent lawsuit that was filed just last week um, related to the issue of banning singing. Tell us more about this. Well, you bet. Well, Governor Gavin Newsom uh, verbally gave this edict that uh, singing was prohibited um, and uh, because uh, he didn't want churches to be a place for people and religious institutions, churches, synagogues, and other places, you know, where people sing, uh, where the, the, the virus is going to spread. He made this a mandate, no singing. Well, you know, some people were quickly jumped on it and, and you know, said he's banding, he's making it illegal to sing. Well, we at Pacific Justice Institute, our attorneys are very sharp, and uh, we know that what he says verbally is not binding. It's what he puts in writing. So we waited to see what was put in writing, what was signed and not signed. And what we discovered is that his order... Um, actually had no teeth when it comes to non-paid uh, employees. So, uh, you know, so our, uh, people who are not being paid. So attendees can sing. Volunteers in a church service, they can sing. Technically, the only people that it applies to, pursuant to California OSHA um, and the authority of California OSHA, would be uh, people who are paid and singing. Uh, so it might apply to the pastor if he was up there singing, maybe if the worship leader's up there singing, and he's being paid, or she's being paid. Uh, otherwise, it doesn't have any application at all. It, it's, it's not binding at all. There's no teeth to it. And that's why we at Pacific Justice Institute did not file a lawsuit to challenge it, uh, because we didn't want to give it the credence that he was trying to give it. Instead, um, we sent out, did a thorough legal analysis at Craig, and we sent that legal analysis out to all the churches uh, on our church pastor list uh, so they could be fully equipped and educated as to the fact that this was a, a hollow threat and uh, had no substance to it as far as real application to churches. This does, though, beg another issue, and that is the challenge that many churches are having, either with trying to comply with laws that may or may not be constitutionally allowable, and above all, wanting to make sure they're doing the best to protect the, the safe, uh, safety and health welfare of members of the congregation. But there, there's there's something I've been, been really meaning to ask you. Part of the regulations here in California is a limitation on indoor attendance for church services, where yes. the state says that it must be limited to, quote, 25% of building capacity or a maximum of 100 attendees, whichever is, wait for it, lower. I did some calculations <laughs> before we came on the air today, and I determined, just to take a, 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 a church top of mind, everybody is familiar with Bishop Bob Jackson at Axeville Gospel Church in Oakland, and I did some rough calculations based on the number of seats that normally that church has in the sanctuary, how many people that it accommodates, and for Axeville Gospel Church of Oakland to comply with this state order means that they would be operating only at 1.7% 
of capacity, less than 2%. And when you look at a number like that, you almost think to yourself, is the state serious? I mean, it, it, it's barely, and I want to put that in proper context, from the perspective of the number of people that's allowed in the building versus the overall general capacity number, 1.7% is barely worth the effort. Uh, you're correct, and it's been uh, it's very problematic. Uh, uh, we at Pacific Justice Institute uh, challenged uh, that in in uh, Calaveras County, and we actually got the, the case matter settled, so the churches were able to to meet and and uh, and meet fairly meet of outdoor service, indoor service. But since then, Craig, uh, and we're challenging that in other states, something very similar to that up in the Washington State right now, uh, but. Uh, What's uh, interesting is that in about 31 counties, Governor Gavin Newsom did come out with a binding order. This wasn't a hollow order. This was a binding order, a mandate, that uh, there be no indoor services, period, only outdoor services. Some churches are respecting it and having outdoor services. Some, that's, For some, that's very problematic. They're an inner-city church. They don't have the space outside or it gets really hot. They're in the desert. So, uh, you know, it's very problematic, and a number of them are uh, having uh, some difficulties. And, and some of them are just going ahead and having their indoor service, doing spacing and masks. Uh, I, I, and we are giving personal counsel uh, in that regard. And then, of course, we have been saying that the private Christian schools are shut down. And we went ahead and did our research on that, saying, actually, that's a hollow, that's a hollow threat. That's not an actual mandate. So, so far... The Christian private schools can open up. He may change it, and if so, we'll have a, uh, some contingencies. But we're, I tell you, Craig, this is all happening so fast, and if churches or private Christian schools want uh, to get the latest and more in-depth on this, we're going to have a Zoom call on Thursday, this Thursday at 2 p.m., and they can register at our website, pji.org. We do all our work without charge, and uh, we only sue when, when there's really, truly a case to, to sue when it's really necessary. And we never charge for our work. Yeah, I was going to say it. 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 You almost need a scorecard to keep track of what the the regulation of the day is, and between confusion over what the regulations are insofar as churches are, along with a good percentage of churches in the Bay Area that operate private schools, makes it even more complicated. And and yeah, you know, just to add a bit of perspective to what you say with regard to um, the governor saying, well, all the services have to be outdoors. That sounds easy. That sounds easy unless you're operating a church in a place like, I don't know, Antioch or Brentwood, where during the summer months, the temperatures can reach upwards of 100, 105 degrees. Now, who's going to want to go to church under those kinds of circumstances? I mean, it just it just demonstrates the, I think, the lack of thinking. And while I realize that we're all trying to figure this COVID-19 business out, you would think the experts would have a little bit better clarity on it. If folks want to get information about signing up for that Zoom call, again, that's this Thursday at 2 p.m. Um, again, Brad, it'll be clear where to register once they get to the pji.org website. Yes, and then, uh, then we'll keep them updated on future uh, Zoom calls. But this is very important. We're going to be very specific on how churches and private schools can get around these mandates or seemingly uh, mandates uh, moving forward. So it's it's very going to be very substantive, very empowering. All right. So again, that'll be uh, this coming Thursday, two days 
hence, and that'll be at 2 p.m. Uh, California time. Information and registration on the web at pji.org. That's pji.org. All right, there was not Senator Shannon Grove. That was <laughs> constitutional lawyer Brad Dacus. Thank you so much, Brad, for the update. Coming up next, we'll introduce a guest from the show not scheduled to be on for another three weeks. No, uh, we will have the senator join us momentarily as I recover from that faux pas. Let's see what kind of faux pas are going on out there traffic-wise. A big fire on the Golden Gate Bridge earlier this afternoon shut down traffic. Let's see if the traffic is now moving once again as we head over to the traffic center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, as I mentioned a moment ago, the issue of COVID-19 in California being uh, number two in the nation behind New York is not the only motivator why Californians are considering maybe relocating. New report out in MoneyWise shows that not only is California the third most expensive area of our nation outside of Hawaii and the District of Columbia, but we are in the top 10 list of places where residents would like to move to somewhere else. One of the reasons behind this, I bet you could guess, is the outrageous cost of living here, and it continues to get higher with no abatement in sight. We get some details now by California Senator Shannon Grove. Senator Grove represents our great state for the 16th district and is the Senate Republican leader. And Senator Grove, always an education to have you join us. Oh, thank you, Craig, for the opportunity to speak to your listeners. I really am grateful for that. You know, I guess for all of us that, that live here, unless they're listening to the stream online from somewhere else on the planet probably painfully are already aware of the high cost of living here in California. My goodness, the, the medium home price has gone up 70% since 2012 to an average of $996,000. And, and I realize certainly there are many market forces that are behind that. But I have to wonder if there's also decisions that we are making and largely being made certainly politically in our state by the Democrat Party that are having a tremendous impact on not just the cost of living in our state, but as a result, the quality of life here. Oh, you're absolutely right. You know, housing is the most significant cost of living component that we have in our monthly income or expenses, um, whether buying or renting or putting a roof over one's head. It consumes a disproportionate high portion of personal income on a monthly basis. And, um, you know, when you mentioned that the, the median household income is almost a million dollars, uh, that's up from 615000 just a few years ago. It's just ex exponentially, uh, exponentially just increased. And it's, um, according to the California Realtors Association, it's um, continuing to go up. And achieving the American dream is becoming more and more difficult in the state of California because of a lot of the things that happen with um, policy, you know, with all the permits and requirements and CEQA and everything that you have to do to build a single-family unit, it's almost $100,000 in permits and fees before you even get a shovel in the ground. Um, so it's very frustrating, especially for the building community, and then they're required to offer affordable housing. Um, but with all the permits and the regulatory requirements, it's impossible to offer affordable housing in California. 
Well, and certainly from from the builder's perspective, I mean, you look at the what the cost is going to be, and and then the the potential losses, so to speak, that they'll have by offering um, a certain percentile of units, say within a multifamily um, uh, structure, as affordable, and and uh, you know, in the end, it just seems to be a state where doing business here is making less and less sense. And there's a couple of other examples that. That in my mind, and, and maybe you can touch on this, Senator Grove, in my mind tend to sometimes shift some of the biggest burden on the people least likely to afford it. For example, I don't know how many people noticed, but did you recognize that about three weeks ago the gas prices went up? Uh, in fact, in Absolutely. California, there, there was an increase at the pump. Um, and, you know, when, you, when you're somebody who has to count pennies for, for existence, and and you're you're carefully negotiating whether to spend the twenty bucks or not because your budget is that tight. Every little bit helps. I guess if you're a Tesla driver, you probably don't care. But for the rest of us, why is it that California, even in the middle of a pandemic, seems to be insistent on pricing its middle class out of the state? Well, you know, when you mentioned gas prices, that's SB one that the Democrats passed a few years ago which increase gas prices into perpetuity every year. And then when you add the summer blend into it, then the higher cost of gas goes up in the summertime. And you're right, especially with COVID, the pandemic, and people out of work, AB5, not allowing independent contractors to be able to work, um, to have higher gas prices, higher housing costs, um, increased cost in food, increased cost in just to be able to support your family or put food on the table or get to work. Um, California is the number one in that particular um, industry, uh, in the, especially on the tax and the revenue source for, or tax source for, um, you know, independent families for being able to, you know, buy products and services that they need every month. Where I think yeah, we're second to Hawaii. <laughs> You know, it's great for California to be one, but we have to be number one in the right <laughs> in the right categories. There's another arena that I know must be very frustrating from from a public service standpoint as, as you tr- struggle to try and get some sense of of agreement on measures passed in the California state legislature, and that's things like dealing with the greenhouse gases. Now, you know, I think we all agree we want to make sure that we do everything that we can to protect the planet that that basically supports us. I, I, I thoroughly get that. But then I hear things like, well, we need to impose significant penalties through things like banning, outright banning, or uh, increased cost of taxes on things like, for example, natural gas use in the state of California, because they conclude that it increases greenhouse gases. And then they turn around and say, well, you know, we want people to use more electricity instead of natural gas, failing to recognize that with a handful of exceptions that almost any of us can name, the amount of hydro energy in California is limited. We certainly all have an opinion about the use of coal. Most of the power plants in our state are fired by natural gas, and yet we're being told, don't use natural gas in your home, use electricity, but instead the electricity has to be produced by natural gas. Why why does that seem to be logical to me, and yet such a disconnect for certain members of the California state legislature to not see the inconsistency in that? 
You know, um, the numbers are so different in the California state legislature. Like, take the Senate, for instance. We have 11 Republicans and 29 Democrats, and it takes 21 to do anything, to stop a bill or pass or to, um, to pass a bill. So when you look at things like greenhouse gas or, like, for instance, my district, where we produce 75% of the state's oil, and I know that oil is considered a bad word when it comes to um, consumers or individuals in the state of California, especially up in the area that you guys are from. But what people need to understand is that we produce energy through the oil industry um, in the safest, most regulatory environment available anywhere in the world. And California's consumption of fuels has not gone down. And when you look at the imports, you know, we import, uh, you know, oil from the Ecuadorian rainforest. Uh, the indigenous Indians just want a lawsuit there to stop that from happening or reduce it. And California is the number one purchaser of Ecuadorian oil, and they tear down rainforests. Well, I can tell you, which affects greenhouse gas emissions, and I can tell you that in Kern County, where we produce 75% of the state's oil, we don't have indigenous Indians, and we don't have a rainforest. We have open, vast desert fields that produce clean fossil fuels. When I say clean fossil fuels, it's under the most regulatory, restrictive environment in, in the entire world. And like I said, Californians have not reduce their consumption of fossil fuels. They just demand that we don't produce it here. But when you produce it in Ecuador or Iraq or Iran and you purchase that that product from coming here, you have all these ships sailing across the ocean, um, these bunker fuel ships, and then they land in our ports. That was evident on COVID. You could go online and look it up. It's just oil tankers in Long Beach Harbor. I think there were 26 of them backed up waiting to be offloaded on the port. How good is that for our ecosystem? So I just think that we can produce it uh, less expensive and at a at a safer uh, a safer environmental way, and we should use California's uh, fuel here and produce jobs here and keep revenues here instead of producing well, and, it outside our country. And, and, and- and at the end of the day, it's not only more practical from the revenue standpoint or the expenditure standpoint, but if we're concerned about the planet, well, nobody has greater control when it comes to a protection of the environment than the United States, let alone the state of California. And uh, as we know, many of the countries that you just mentioned, there are virtually no controls whatsoever. They will engage in all the deforestation that they want to with no thought of the reprisals at all and so it just makes common sense sadly though that's something that doesn't always uh, drive your uh, your esteemed uh, democrat colleagues in the, in the state uh, legislature well we appreciate the update um, senator grove and uh, these continue to be important issues and and will be as we head into the november election so also want to urge you to be very considerate when it comes to who it is that you elect or re-elect to the California State elect, uh, Legislature this November. California Senator Shannon Grove representing our state, 16th District. Thank you so much. Shannon Grove, again, is also the uh, Republican leader in the California Senate. All right, here at 532, we get you an update on traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Pick on the State Legislature Day here on Lifeline, or at least it certainly seems like it. But, you know, they, they're in charge. you got to hold them accountable, right? 
there's a couple of other additional issues that are challenging our fair state in addition to what Senator Shannon Grove mentioned a few moments ago. Um, and that largely has to do with a piece of legislation that's making its way through um, the Senate. We're going to get to the details on that in a moment. First, though, I want to bring on Brian Johnston, who, of course, is the Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee and the host of Life Matters, a broadcast heard every Saturday at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. And, Brian, before we talk about SB 1237, uh, interesting news today out of New York City, Planned Parenthood there, um, with not a great deal of fanfare, is sort of um, very quietly making it known that they're going to be changing the name of their principal New York City clinic, which had been named after the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger. They're now changing that uh, health clinic in uh, in downtown Manhattan uh, to a whole new name. Uh, they're essentially going to get rid of hers and call it the... Here's creativity for you. Manhattan Health Center. All of this because they're concerned about a very shady past of Margaret Sanger. We've talked about many, many times on this program down through the years, so perhaps no news to the KFAX listeners, but the notion that Margaret Sanger was a strong proponent of the science of eugenics, in fact, had been lauded by no less than Adolf Hitler, for her positions on the topic, which at the very core are outlandishly racist. And yet finally, Planned Parenthood is admitting at least to that and wanting to cover up part of that um, shady part of their history, although at the core, the impact of that racism will always continue, I would think, within Planned Parenthood, given who they target. Well, Craig, you're exactly right, and it's only going to be outlets like KFAX and others who are concerned about objective truth. I seriously doubt ABC, NBC, PBS, the other pop outlets of media information, that they'll mention this because it does underscore what the ongoing principles of Planned Parenthood has been. It's a funny and a vague title, the Manhattan Health Clinic, all that sounds, well, the fact is, yeah, they're there. And in New York City, because of Planned Parenthood specifically, there are more black babies killed than are born in New York City. These are intentionally, talk about racism, this is intentional, and Margaret Sanger was the epitome of that. She still is honored, and there's many times that, that Mrs. Clinton made a point to praise Margaret Sanger, to praise her explicitly. We know what we know about her, and it's not hidden, and yet this is very much a part of the eugenic and racist policies. Now, without getting into too much history, the fact is, historically in the United States, it is leftists. It is those who condescend to view groups. Instead of viewing Americans as individuals, which is the principle of our republic, the left views Americans as groups and tends to pit them against one another. It's inherent in a progressive worldview. And this continues. And so to talk about it publicly is to underscore it. They're going to avoid it. Right now, speaking of the statues we saw a couple of weeks ago and still ongoing, there is actually a bust of Margaret Sanger still at the Smithsonian Institution. And so <laughs> if you're concerned about icons, there's an icon right there. 
and people need to be informed. This is this is a very real battle of ideas, and the truth isn't being told. So I appreciate yeah, you. Yeah, this is. That. You bet. Now, let me pivot to another issue where the truth needs to be told a bit closer to home here in California. Um, it, it, I don't know. I read through the bill as quickly as I could in the time that was allotted me. And uh, I have to tell you, I, I almost get the sense here that there's a fashion in which the California state legislature is trying to equate women's health um, things, you know, from, from um, prenatal care and birthing. Uh, to abortion as uh, maybe on a par with going into the local uh, uh, oil change spot. You know, you get your oil change, your filter change, and, and hey, why not get an abortion too? They are proposing some changes to legislation here in California as it relates to health care and the potential risk here that it's going to place women at is phenomenal. And it's almost shocking that this is up for consideration if it isn't liberal enough in California the state legislature is aiming to make abortion even more liberal in our state tell us what's the essence the substance of Senate Bill 1237 and why it's dangerous well we know this about the abortion industry and really to be honest if you study radical feminism about the philosophy of abortion they believe this should be as common as anything as, again, they're not concerned about back alley. We're really going close to the back alley abortions in the sense that they don't want it to be done by doctors anymore. That's really what this bill is about. What Senate Bill 1237 is it allowed midwives to do abortion. Now, there are certain midwives that are doing it, by the way. But under current law, midwives operate in conjunction and under the authority of a physician. And that only makes sense because it isn't just an abortion. We know, that we know abortions are, are deadly and complicated. But just in, in birthing itself, there can be complications in birth. And so midwives are required to have an involvement with a physician because there could be complications. This bill removes that oversight and and basically removes the midwifery from the medical field in some way. It separates it. Now, if we go back to Roe v. Wade itself and what Justice Blackman said, and this is where we get a lot of the phraseology that are used by the ideologues that promote abortion, Justice Blackman said, well, this is the right to privacy, and it should only be between a woman and her physician. Well, hang on. They're cutting the physicians out now. They want this really, it's it's really primal. And the basic ideology of the abortion industry is, look, you own the baby, you're entitled to kill the baby. It's a form of slavery. This is a human baby. The mother owns that baby. It's her choice whether she wants to allow it to continue. And it's true in primitive cultures that there were midwives that will kill babies. We know that in ancient Greek, exposure was not uncommon. We know in primitive cultures, human babies were thrown out. And that's what this is a return to. This is not, this is not a, an advancement. This is a return to a very primitive, lawless culture where human life is cheap. And so this is a chilling... When it, this is in the Senate, by the way, in the state Senate. One of the leading pro-aborts, and we've talked about it many times, Dr. Senator Pan. Senator Pan was 
the one Democrat that voted against it, even though he's very, very pro-choice, he's pro-Planned Parenthood, but he's also a doctor. <laughs> he realizes, wait a second, this is going beyond the this is going beyond the pale, and so this is very, very uh, risky. Now, right now, uh, as we speak here in the Bay Area, we're talking to a lot of Bay Area listeners. The reality is most of our state representatives representing San Francisco Bay are Democrats, and they're already committed to abortion. But we would like to, them to do what Dr. Pan did. We would like them to say, wait a second, the scope of practice is what this is about. So, so now you have midwives killing babies. There's no physicians even on call. And this is what we want abortion to be. And so we want to encourage the state legislators that you have and the likelihood, if you call your state assembly member, is that they're already a Democrat and they're already pro-choice. But you should address them on the safety issue and on the practice of medicine and on what's at stake for women's safety. This is so far beyond the pale, and yet we're seeing how kooky things are, but that's what's going on with abortion in California at Senate Bill 1237. and. Uh, the Assembly Appropriations, excuse me, the, the Assembly Professions Committee is going to hear it next week, Business and Professions, and then it's going to go to the Assembly floor. So we want to make sure that this is addressed, and if people will address it honestly, even abortion supporters like Dr. Pan, if they address this honestly, they need to say, wait a second. So it's, it's an amazing time in history, but we need to be aware and we need to speak up. We do indeed. And of course, these are the kinds of issues that uh, your voice needs to be heard on. And I know sometimes, particularly now, it seems to be so overwhelming at so many levels. And to think, will my voice really make that much of a difference or is it just going to be business as usual? Well, if enough of us, people of conscience that are willing to speak out and do speak out, we can affect change. You can get more information on the California Pro-Life website at CaliforniaProLife.org. That's CaliforniaProLife.org, related to, related to Senate Bill 1237. Life Matters, Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX with your host, Brian Johnston. Again, information on the web at CaliforniaProLife.org. 5.48 the clock. So we get you a look at traffic.